It's uh, really nice to be here this morning. Um, I guess you'd hope that I'd say that, uh, but quite honestly, this morning, you know, after a couple of weeks of about 10 days of, of going around on holidays and uh, not knowing anyone and enjoying that time, it's uh, sometimes a bit freeing. Um, and so this morning, I, I can't honestly say I was thrilled to be here until I've come here and be with you people. You know, sometimes we have a vision of what church is in our thinking. Um, that's why you know, I'm really glad the online people are here with us. But there is nothing, there is nothing that uh, takes the place of being with real people. And um, particularly as we come up to the teaching in John 13, it's actually hard to love people without being with real people, isn't it? And so, can I just say, it's uh, just, I didn't start thrilled being here, uh, if I'm being honest, um, but I am truly glad to be here amongst people that I know and people who know me and people who I know are seeking to follow Jesus. That's been a blessing, my blessing this morning. And thanks for Brad for leading. Um, and yes, the swimming pool is meant to be swum in. And uh, so it's really good. Uh, we're looking forward to the time when we're invited round. Uh, maybe next Sunday uh, after church. Uh, I'm going to read from uh, John chapter 13. And uh, this is just a powerful passage. If you've been following the Bible readings, this wasn't too long ago we read this very passage. John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from the Father and was going to return to God. So he, Jesus, got up from the meal, took off the outer cloak, clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Look, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. Then, Lord, said Simon Peter, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I've, I know those I've chosen. But this is the, to fulfil this passage of scripture. He who shared by bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone, I, anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I'm telling you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon, Peter motioned to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, is the one to whom I'm giving this piece of bread when I've dipped in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, and the, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had, was in char had charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to go and buy something to the, give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. If you've been following the, uh, the, the gospel, night and day, light and darkness. And it was night. And when he'd gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God has glorified him, God will glorify the Son in him and he will glorify him at once. My children, I'll be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, just as I told the Jews, so I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment, command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll, you'll disown me three times. Let's just pray, shall we? Just we ponder this truth, these words, and uh, I'm just going to ask, Lord, that you would uh, give us insight. Um, Lord, I, yeah, we have no... Our desire is that you change our heart. We don't want to know just facts about Jesus. We don't, we don't want to know, just know um, interesting tidbits. Well, we're asking that your spirit use these words to shine lights in our heart and mind, expose the areas where we need to 
repent and change. And Lord, be transformed more into the likeness of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever watched, uh, there's a series on television years ago. Um, it was, uh, oh, I should mention, we're going to do the Upper Room series. So this is the last 24 hours of Jesus, and this is going to take us up to Easter, and uh, where we're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel, uh, John's Gospel narrative about the, around the death of Jesus. Did you ever see the 24 series? Um, it was some years ago, it was a, it was a Terrible American violent show. Um, I don't encourage you to watch it. But the idea was that this, there's 24 episodes in this one series and it followed the life of this man, uh, uh, Jack Bauer. No ordinary man, of course. He was from the American spy agency, whatever letters they had behind their names. Um, and the first series, they, they tried to follow this, this 24 hours, this 20, life of the, in the life of this guy in 24 hours where he saved his kidnapped wife and daughter. He saved a senator from death. Um, what else did he do? He prevented the uh, war criminal from being freed from jail all in one 24-hour period. What a man! The second series was another, second, another 24-hour period where he prevented a nuclear bomb being detonated in America. You hope you get a bit of a bonus for that, don't you? Like The third series, the, the next three, third 24-hour uh, episodes, he saved uh, uh, the public from a lethal virus being released in America. The fourth 24-hour period, the fourth series, he saved America from a nuclear meltdown. That's really good of him. And the fifth one... Finally, the bad guys realise that Jack is, the, is stopping all their plans and so they go after Jack Bauer to get rid of him um, and, and he, he, he gets kidnapped, he gets, nearly dies, uh, he has all these double agents sort of after him and honestly, I don't know how the world would be saved without Jack Bauer to save us. It must have been a big week, isn't it? Those five 24-hour periods. I hope you had a long weekend after that. But, but this show really doesn't show that we need a saviour. What this show shows us is that we need to be our own saviour. We, we need to defeat all the odds. We need to work against all things. And Jack Bauer, where he, he was prepared to risk his life to die... He did not lay down his life to die for the world. And this is where we see the difference between Jack Bauer and Jesus Christ, our Lord. In John's Gospel, and, and just in any story, there's this dramatic part of the story where all the main players are on the stage. There's, uh, there's this scene where there's, the tension is rising, you know? They, they, you know, something's going to happen soon because all the players are there, the, the story's in place, and actually the tension can almost become unbearable. Unbearable because something's going to happen. And we look and, and we're, we're just hoping, what's going to break the tension? Well, that's where we find ourselves in John's Gospel, in chapter 13. The, the chapter is the start of, of Jesus' countdown. Jesus has 24 hours to live 
And John's gospel has dedicated one half of the gospel for that last 24 hours. Jesus would soon die. The events would unfold. It looks like to the casual observer that somehow Jesus had been swept up by evil, but nothing was the case. He wasn't going to risk his life for the world. He was going to lay down his life for the world. Jesus only had a few hours left with his disciples. And it's a pretty grim thing when you are with, I don't know if you've ever experienced being with a loved one, knowing that the person is going to die soon. It's a profound time and moment. I've been called into hospitals where people I know are going to die soon. And uh, sometimes it's with people I know, like from church people, but, but there's been times I've been called in and I don't know anyone in the room. And you meet with these people. Uh, Wendy's mum, um, a couple of years back, um, you know, we saw we were with her towards the end of her life and we knew that there was going to be a time in the next the hours when she would no longer be around. And my own father, um, we spent the last 24 hours with my dad. Solemn times, the, the remarkable moments in, 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 in my life that has is, impacted me greatly. And you know what? There's no talking about the groceries in that, in that hospital room, is there? There's no talking about world events. There's no talking about history. Actually, our experience was not much was actually said at all, but whatever was said was really important because you know this may be the last word this person hears or the last, person that, the last word they say. Well, here we are in the room, the upper room, and I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm asking you to join with me as we go into the upper room with Jesus and his disciples to learn from Jesus the, the words he would tell his disciples in the last 24 hours of his life. Profound words. These are, these are going to matter because Jesus knew he was coming to, his, to the end. Let's think about this scene that we have before us. Um, Let's go into the upper room, be the fly on the wall, and you'd probably smell um, food being prepared. There'd been lamb or goat that had been a part of the, with spices and, and maybe some oil lamps burning. Could you imagine there'd be a, there'd be a terrible smell, I'd imagine, um, that oil lamp. Um, it'd be dingy because they didn't have the lights that we had, so they had these oil lamps where they would be we're trying to give some light, but it'd be very dingy, and I can imagine that the air wouldn't be really very clear, not at night time. The meal that was to be shared was part of that Passover celebration, one which they'd shared every year. This was just every year they would do this, but this is a significant one, because all of Jerusalem are buzzing, because we just had the triumphal entry into Jesus and, and, and everyone was sort of shouting for Jesus. There was huge tension, particularly because the Jews expected something's going to happen at Passover. Remembering what happened in the first Passover, they would always expect that God might save them in this Passover now. So there was, there was a huge tension involved. And here we are in the room and who's in the room? We have Jesus who is in the world who we understand um, 
had come into the world and he was going to soon leave the world. He, t- he knew that. He expected that to happen. And he wanted to give as much glory to God in those last moments of his life possible. His time was up. He was not running away. He was not retreating. He had been given all authority in heaven and earth. It was his. God said, here, you, here's the keys of the kingdom. You can be the boss. You, you can be... You are over everything. And he knew that his time on earth was to, coming to an end. There were those who had followed Jesus, the, the closest, the 12 disciples. They were in the upper room. For three years, they had an incredible journey. They'd been healings, they'd been demon possessions cast out. They'd seen the dead rise. They'd lived for nomads for three years. They'd seen crowds surging around Jesus and then he'd say a few words, and then they all disappeared. And, and here they were, the, the 12 were the only ones left. In the upper room there, we need to see who was not, the unseen person that was there was God the Father. God was there. God who was never, Jesus knew his, he was always in the presence of his Father in heaven. The creator who made all things, who who gave Jesus the authority that that he had. The beloved son, he was the father who had the beloved son who he loved and he was well pleased. Let's not forget God the father was there. But in that same room was the Satan, wasn't it? The accuser, the devil. He was in the room as well. He has a place in this story. He's one of the actors. Satan who hates God who, if he, can, if he can strike out at the sun, if he can hurt the sun, then he's pleased because he's going to hurt God. And this is the decisive time Satan understands. This is, this is the moment. Everyone knows it's the moment. Satan knows it's the moment where he's going to do something. He's got a plan of what he's going to do. But Satan is also in the upper room. We need to make a special mention to one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. His name would become, would mean a betrayer. He, uh, he would allow Satan to move his heart, to bring Jesus down. Um, his motives, we, we, could, we can guess, we can, we can try to work it out, but essentially he was the mole. He was the traitor. He was the one in the room that was, was planning the downfall of Jesus. And he was very effective because he was close to Jesus. The time is right. The tension is high. Everyone knows it. It's more than just an earthly battle. This is a cosmic battle. It's been going before the, before the creation of the world. It would seem that, that Satan was... was there was this, this cosmic battle happening and... This one 24-hour period is the, the very critical part of that huge cosmic battle that's been going for, oh, we don't know how long for, in eternity past, and, and had huge comp- consequences. This, this one 24-hour period is, is where it's all going to be funneled. It's like we've got a big magnifying glass and we're directing the sun down to this one point where something is going to happen. And with uh, this remarkable moment in cosmic and earthly history and uh, as, uh, 
bringing that all together, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returned to God. So he got up from the meal, took off the outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured into a basin, poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. I'm just astonished. The reason Jesus did this was because he knew he had all authority and power. So he did the most menial thing. He washed the feet of the disciples, including Judas's feet, the betrayer. A remarkable act of love. And verse 4 indicates that he, he knew all of this and that's why he got up and washed feet. It just doesn't make sense, does it? To anyone? If it makes sense to you, I'd love to hear after. You may have heard that the washing of feet was only done by the lowest of the servants, of slaves. Uh, not even a Hebrew slave was meant to do this. Can you imagine the scene? Um, the disciples were in the upper room. It was, was hot and smelly and dirty and... And there was this bowl of water there with a towel, but there's no servant to do this. So they're all laying. Um, do you understand that they, they'd have their table around here and they would sort of lean on their left arm and they would eat like this, so their feet would be out this way. And they would lean, they would lay next to each other. And that's how come John can just simply lay back and say to Jesus, you know, who is it? He lays back onto the breast because... They would be there, the feet are that way, the, the food's that way, and there they are eating. And over the corner there, there's this bowl of water and, and towels, and no one's touched it. And the remarkable thing is that Jesus gets up from that meal and starts, you can imagine, can't you, with you think of that, they're laying all there at the table. He goes around and starts washing the feet of the people as they're pointed away. And of course, Peter said, oh, you're not going to wash my feet. But Jesus says, I, I will. There is something really important here for us to learn about authority and power. That authority and power is seen in humility and what appears to be weakness. Um, whether... It speaks to us all. Anyone, if you have any position of power in a church or an employer, if you're, if you're in charge of employees, if you're part of a, a parents or you've got children, power and authority, you know, we don't have to fight for the authority that God gives us. If God gives us authority, he gives us authority. We don't actually have to fight for it. We, just, we don't need to fight for it because it's what God has given us. But what we can do is use that to serve others. Jesus knows he's been given every authority in heaven and earth. He could command angels. He could, he could destroy the sun just for the fun of it. He could, he could do whatever he wants. But what does he do? He goes around to the feet that are pointed away from the table and washes their feet while at the table. And that's why when we're especially Christian leaders, we need to recognise the person with a servant heart. 
whether a pastor, elder, deacon, administrators, ministry team leaders, we don't want anyone who has to fight for their authority, who needs to put themselves forward, who, who has to fight. What we are looking for is people who serve and people who love and people show the, the gifts of the, the, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. They're the sorts of people we want to recognise. We don't want people who have to struggle and fight to get in a position of authority, do we? Because we know that it's all about what they are. Jesus didn't fight for his position of authority. He was given it. And he showed it um, in this remarkable way. And And when you think of that, we understand how different we are from the world. Where you have to fight for your power. You have to fight to be recognised. You've got to be, show people you're significant. Think of this passage here, Philippians 2. And, and this is God speaking to you today. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death or even death on the cross. Remember the context of this is in relationship with one another. That's why we need each other. This is why we actually need to show up to, to be a part of each other's lives because it's easy to love each other from our homes when we don't ever see each other. But when we come together and we have to do things and we annoy each other, that's where love really does need to be shown. We to take the nature of a servant and Jesus leads us that way. We don't grasp for our rights, we don't pursue our rights, we lay them aside. Why didn't Peter want Jesus to wash his feet? I think it's because Peter wanted a leader greater than that. He wanted someone greater than a foot washer he, didn't, he would have, I'm sure if Jesus said, Peter, you go and wash everyone's feet, he would have done that, but he doesn't want Jesus to serve him in that way. Not the Messiah, not the Christ. But this is, you probably heard the expression, the upside-down kingdom, isn't it? <clears throat> the, rules, <clears throat> the rules of business and commerce and, and government does not apply here. Democracy doesn't apply here. We understand that, don't we? We're, not, we're a Baptist church, but we're not a democratic church. We sometimes raise our hands to say, yes, I believe God wants this to happen, but it's not because I raise my hands because I want this to happen. It's because we believe God wants us this, to do this. We've got to allow ourselves... We've got to allow the Spirit of God will move our hearts so that we'll actually put our hand up for things that actually I don't believe. I, it's not comfortable for me, but I think we need to go this way. I have a suspicion that Peter's ideas about the Christ was that um, he, would, he would submit to Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus to serve him in this way. Um, consider why Jesus' response was so strong. Why did Jesus say... Unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. Because leadership is grounded in service in the kingdom of God. We lay down our lives. We don't risk our lives. 
we lay down our lives for another. Over many years in different churches, I've, I've, there's, 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 always, there's always generous people in every church who serve the church in wonderful ways, but sometimes they can be too proud to actually be served themselves. You might know sometimes um, um, there's, there's a generation of people who, who just would give and give and give, but once you start giving back to them, no, 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 I'm going to pay for my own way, thank you. you know, it's too almost proud. Um, and, you know, even that's a sin. We need to allow, not only do we serve people, we need to allow people to serve us and be generous to us because we're going to need to allow them to show their love for us. Let me think. I wonder... Um, I'd like you to think for a moment. Um, we recognise that Jesus was serving the disciples, was washing their feet. Um, it's a very obvious. It, it was a very obvious way. Like it was, it was an astounding way, wasn't it? That Jesus was Jesus. Um, Jesus was challenging them, wasn't he? He was challenging their thinking. He wanted to have a change in their thinking, and this would have been one of those those events that. Because John's writing this for about 40 years after the event. You would think it was he was writing it the next day, wouldn't he? It's so clear and vivid in, in John's mind. And this idea of service was something that defined Christianity. We to serve and love one another. And in our readings uh, through John and uh, 1 John, we've been talking about love and obedience and service, haven't we? That's what it's been talking about. We need to, we need to let these things um, come in and shape our minds and hearts as we, as we understand um, what it means to follow Jesus. I want to bring two verses together. These, chapter 13, verse 1, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. That's the message of 1 John we're reading, isn't it? So what are you doing? If you are loved by God, and it's really wonderful Brad spoke about the love of God. If you're loved by God, and if you're loved to the very end, that allows you the confidence to give yourself in obedience to him, to serve. It's a powerful way. Um, I think um, there's a different... The, the biggest change in my life in the last few years has been moving from the, the trust and the faith that I'm loved by God to seeking to experience the love of God. I think if you're a, if you're a parent, wouldn't it be horrible if your children believed that you loved them but never felt or experienced that love? Wouldn't it be horrible if you're in a marriage relationship where you believe intellectually that you, you are loved by the other person but you've never felt that love? Or if you're in a, you have a, a friendship, a deep friendship with someone, 
You know they loved you, but you can't experience that they'd be terribly sad. And I think what we're seeing here is the disciples having it reinforced to them how loved they are by God, how loved they are by Jesus. So here we are in the upper room. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him, what he's been doing? He wants it to impact you. How will you respond? How will it shape your heart? Will you let him wash you anew in that area where you know you need washing anew? Will you let Jesus come and minister to you? Because I think that's the invitation today. I'm going to just pray before I hand back to to Brad. Um, And I think after this prayer, I will be cutting off the feed. uh, So Lord, I'm just going to ask that you, uh, as we sit here, um, as we are very, I pray we would be aware of those areas where we need to submit to be washed anew. Um, Lord, we... um, I pray for each one of us that we would not just trust and have faith that you love us, that we might find new ways to experience that. And Lord, I do thank you that somehow in the coming together of your people here, help us to see this as an experience of how you love us, how you care for us how you are washing us in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.